Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. I trust God gave you a great week. It is good to see some new faces here this morning. Uh, it's good to see regular faces here this morning. It's just good to see faces here this morning. I know there's a lot of people traveling today. Uh, and through the summer, there'll be a lot of people traveling. But I praise God every single Sunday. I know that God will bring those who need to be here on that Sunday. So thank you for being here today from young to old. I praise God that you're here. Thank you for obeying God and joining in corporate worship this morning. And I pray your heart is prepared to receive this, this wonderful passage. Uh, just from the onset, as I prayed... What, you're about, what we're about to study from God's Word this morning is absolutely not popular. It is despised in the natural world. But my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's Word that clearly exposes who we are and who He is. Um, I don't remember if I did this or not, but I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 1. Romans 1 this morning, as you're turning, just a couple quick family matters again, would you please continue to pray? And I know we'll kind of expose this as we go along. Uh, we mentioned this last week. Would you pray about your part in potentially helping with a couple substantial maintenance expenses that we have here at Cross Point Community Church through this summer? Uh, in a campus of our size and uh, magnitude and all that happens here on this campus because there's a lot that happens here. There's a lot, of re a lot of repairs that need to happen and particularly this last couple months it was one repair after another and we're putting a plan together to, to see that accomplished and would you pray about your part in helping us to see uh, that come to fruition. We'll give more details in the next couple of weeks on that. Also this the VBS is right around the corner, June 29th through July 1st. Please sign up. Please bring your children, your grandchildren, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. They will hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So please bring them. Please encourage them to come uh, and participate in this. Then, lastly this morning, before we get into the text, next week's a special day. Father's Day. So, Bring your dads, bring your husbands, dads be here. Hey, there's no better place to be, especially as you look at the weather next week, because it's supposed to be like 150 degrees. Come to church, the AC will be on. What better place to be on a Father's Day than in the presence of other brothers and sisters in Christ who are learning from God's Word. So come next week, you will receive a blessing from God's Word in regard to um, Father's Day. All right, so here we are, back in Romans 1. I pray that God is taking these truths that we're learning, even if it's a massive bite of bad news as we're working through Romans 1 through 3, and God is bringing these things up in your mind all week long. And here's the reason. What, what comes in Bible study on Sunday morning is not meant to stop at 11.30 or 1.30 whenever we stop, but is meant to drive you all week long. That's our prayer, is that you think of these truths and these passages all week long. And this is the scriptural principle of meditation. You meditate on these truths. 
Well, we have some fun stuff we're meditating on in Romans chapter 1. Um, I have a messed up imagination sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I, I often, I really do think of this trip through Romans as a journey. Every one of us in the body of Christ here at Crosspoint, we're on this journey together. And so I was thinking of this this week as us all. This is a massive tour bus, but we're on a tour bus. We're traveling through the book of Romans together. I mean, as we're traveling through, you can kind of see the outline on the back. There are seven major stops on this tour and lots of little segments, like a breakfast to lunch segment and a lunch to dinner segment. I mean, there's lots of segments along the way, but there's seven major stops. But then my imagination kept going, and I thought, man, it's amazing how different ones of us on this tour bus uh, approach, even through conversation I've had, approach this study. It's like this. Excited. I'm telling you, there's a body of believers here that are excited about what's happening next week. Or maybe like this. Some of you can't contain yourself. Pastor, what's coming next week in Romans 1? By the way, thank you for that. Or potentially like this. Smiles all around. And then this one dude in the middle, he can't tell whether he wants to smile or frown or whatever he's trying to do. But I will be honest with you, some of us approach it like this. <laughs> pastor, can't you go a little quicker through Romans? Man, Pastor. I got it already. We're sinners. <laughs> you got the point in Romans 1. But honestly, as I think through this, I think about some of us in this room, and this is natural to any study of the Bible, especially when you dig into some of these tougher truths of theology. It's like this. <laughs> Did he really bring up divine election again? What's wrong with that guy? No, praise God, because we better get used to it. Because this is the Word of God. So nonetheless, why I bring these things up is we're on this journey together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're looking at different segments along the way. If you think about where we've been on this journey, Romans 1, 1 through 17 is our introduction. All right, This is when we launch into the journey full of smiles. Hey, here we go. When you launch out into your journey, you're seeing billboards of what's coming along the way. We're going to see that? Wow, we're going to see that? These billboards that we saw in Romans chapter 1, 1 through 17, two of them primarily, the righteousness of God billboard and the gospel of Jesus Christ. All through the book on this journey, we're going to see these truths highlighted. But then, the ugly part of the journey. <laughs> Honestly, that's where we're at. I mean, it's almost like you're like, whoa, that was a trick. Why? Because in Romans 1.16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so you're getting excited and you're like, yes, good news is coming. And then two verses later, it's like the wrath of God. What happened? We have an exciting trip ahead of us and then all of a sudden, we're, we're interacting right away with the wrath of God. Completely intentional by God's Holy Spirit through God's servant, Paul. Nonetheless, when we take this journey, we're all in this tour bus together, all of us here. Right now, we're traveling through the ugliest part of the journey. What am I talking about? Well, we're heading into the hood. 
We'd be in the ghetto. This is the middle of Sin City, my brothers and sisters. Seriously. We're heading right down the middle of Sin City. Our tour bus is driving through a combination of the tent cities of L.A., the lust and greed traps of Las Vegas, the hood of Chicago. If it was an international tour, we'd be headed straight through the red light districts of Amsterdam and and Bangkok. That's where we're headed. We're traveling through and we're peeking out these windows thinking, ooh, it's ugly out there. That's nasty. That's the trip we're on right now. As we look out of our tour bus windows, we're getting a realistic view of the depravity of the human soul. Honestly, though, in our minds, we embrace an us versus them mentality. You understand what I'm saying? We're safe in our tour bus, my brothers and sisters. Ooh, stay away from what's out there. The problem is, all of us, every single one of us, have origins and temptations towards what we're seeing outside of that bus. Why? As we travel through this, we have to realize that when we've come to Christ, we come to Christ as sinners. And so, who are we? We are sinners saved by God's grace. So as this tour bus is going and we look out and we see Sin City happening... We realize that that was our lifestyle. We're talking about the depravity of sexual hedonism. We're talking about the idolatry of humanism. We're talking about the emptiness of so-called atheism. We're talking about the greediness of materialism. We're talking about the arrogance of intellectualism. We're talking about the self-righteousness of moralism. That's who we were without Jesus. And the temptations of our hearts even to this day. As we look beyond the glamour and the makeup and the pretty facade of our little journey through Romans, we kind of peer around the corner off the main highway in the thoroughfares, we see glimpses of the poverty. We see glimpses of the infection and the depravity of the human soul. We clearly see that this leg of the journey is revealing to us a combination of the worst of the worst, the best of the worst, and the worst of the best. That's the journey we're on right now. The ugliness of this leg and of this journey unquestionably proves two things. I mean, we're talking in this bus right here, right now, as we're traveling through this passage. And here's the conclusions we have to come up with as we analyze this passage. Number one, every single human being is guilty of sin before a righteous judge. That is the conclusion as we're traveling through these verses. You cannot, if, and, or, but around that. We are all sinners. And actually, another conclusion comes from this. Here it is. God is completely justified in His condemnation of all sinful human beings. These are the conclusions that you have to come through as you travel through Romans 1 through 3. We launched into the leg of this the second leg of this journey with this introductory verses, verse that doesn't hold back. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Leads us to this key idea 
that we've been analyzing. You can see on the top of your page there, righteous condemnation for unrighteous truth suppressors. Yes, four. <laughs> we've been on four studies of this. Here it is. A righteous God condemns all unrighteous truth suppressors. In other words, my friends, brothers, sisters in Christ, as we've said every week, the last four studies, here it is. God cannot and will not ignore sin. He, this holy God, has condemned, is condemning, and will condemn all unrighteous human beings who hold down or stifle or ignore His revealed truth. These are those who have rejected God's wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, and beyond that, who have rejected His natural revelation. Reason one, why? In this text, why? Why will God condemn? And I'm just going to mention these three reasons because we clearly saw these the last couple weeks. Here it is. Reason number one, truth suppressors have ignored God's clear revelation about Himself. Reason number two, truth suppressors have insulted God's unmatched glory. Today we're going to look at reason number three, and here it is. Truth suppressors have been given over by God to practice sin. Truth, truth suppressors practice sin. Would you join me now as we see this, that God is justified in condemning, condemning truth suppressors because truth suppressors actively practice sin and we'll see this from verses 24 to 32. So I know it's a longer section to read today, but we need to read this. As we read this today, would you look at three primary statements? You'll see it three, one primary statement mentioned three times. And here's the statement. God gave them over. God gave them up. I'll start reading verse 24 if you would follow along as I read. Therefore, God gave them up and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Like Paul couldn't contain himself. Verse 26, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers 
haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and then somewhat of a summary statement, verse 32, here it is. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. (laughs) What did we just read? Okay, I can assure you, this was not written last week. (laughs) We're talking about a passage that God used through His Spirit, through His servant Paul 2,000 years ago that is just as appropriate in the 21st century. So what is this? Well, as is consistent with the context and the flow of Paul's argument in this text, this is clearly a reason for God's condemnation. It is a reason. Why is God just in condemning all truth suppressors? Well, this is a reason. But clearly, as you go through this there's something else going on here, and we can't ignore this. What's happening here? This is more than just another stated reason, so you'll notice on the top of your pages, it's a reason and a response, okay? We have to acknowledge this. It's not just a simple stated reason. This actually is a response of a holy God towards sin, and it's brilliantly brought together in these paragraphs. It is reason and response, We need to put our thinking caps on as we think about this. In his perfect plan, the sovereign God of the universe is actually dealing with sin right now. And how? By giving them over. So, in this passage, it is a reason and it is also, at the same time, a response. Some commentators will focus on the reason side of things. Some will focus on the response side of things. This is a consequence to sin. And I would say, yes, both. It is brilliantly brought together by God's servant, Paul. This is the why of of God's justice and also the how of God's justice. This is the cause for condemnation and at the same time, the consequence of condemnation. This is the reason and the response at the same time. To be crystal clear, what is that reason? Well, truth suppressors, sin. You can't hide it. I mean, this 21 um, vice list, 21 count vice list that Paul gives here, why are true suppressors condemned before God? It's because they sin. But what is the divine response? The divine response comes in these words. God gave them up. God gave them over. A righteous God condemns all unrighteous truth suppressors by giving them over to what? To self-destruction. This phrase. We need to think about this. God gave them up. Some of your translations will say God gave them over. Honestly, when you really dig into this, it's the same concept. Maybe a little bit differently nuanced, but the same thing. What does it mean to give up? God gave them up. It means to hand something or someone over. To deliver up, to deliver over. And actually, it's what's known as like a legal term. 
used for handing over a guilty convict to custody of the legal system in order that the convict would suffer the due consequences of his crime. Simply this, because man has ignored God's revelation, because man has insulted God's glory, God has handed him over to self-destruction. Ouch! To live out the dirtiness of his heart. I appreciate how one commentator, his name is Douglas Moo, he explained this. Because sometimes we look at this and we think, oh, God just stepped back. And actually that leads us to some very devious theology. Hands off. And this is something called deism. That's not what this is teaching. All right. I love how he says it. He says, the meaning of handover demands that, that we give God a more active role as the initiator of the process. God does not simply let the boat go. He gives it a push downstream. Like a judge who hands over a prisoner to the punishment his crime has earned. God hands over the sinner to the terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. And sin. And more sin. And more sin. And more sin. As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, this giving them over is one of the means of how God is currently expressing His wrath. This is known as the wrath of abandonment. Some theologians would call it God's passive wrath. Although there again, I think you need to direct that thought of passiveness. Why? For clarity's sake, what does this not mean? This does not mean that God has relinquished His sovereign control. That's not what this is saying. This would be inconsistent with the whole of Scripture that teaches the sovereign hand of God in all the affairs of man. That's not what this is teaching. Neither does this teach that God is not working His plan. That is not what this is teaching. Clearly in our Bibles, God is working His plan of grace in the hearts of His beloved prisoners to regenerate them and rescue them from their sin. That's what God's doing. So this is not teaching that God is just like, I'm done. God is still doing His work of grace. So what exactly did God give truth suppressors over to? Well, God gave them up, or God gave them over to moral uncleanness. And when we try to process this, I think this would help. God removes a portion of his restraint of common grace. Think about that. He's removed a portion of this restraint, and to some degree or another, he pushes sinners into the consequence of their own sin as they continue this downward spiral of self-consumed destruction. My friends, do we not see this today? This downward destruction of sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. And this is part of actually God's condemnation. God gave them up or God gave them over to moral uncleanness. Would you look with me at verse 24 again? Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So 
as an act of condemnation, God gave over, God gave up, he pushed this boat down the lane to impurity. What is impurity? This word. It is, honestly, the word is filth. It is sexual and immoral filth. It is vileness. And and the word picture of other words used like this in the New Testament is of rotting flesh in the grave. And this is the way that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is describing this moral degradation and depravity. Although this impurity, and this is the irony of it because we clearly see this in the Old Testament, although this impurity brings pleasure for a season, and we think about that, we're we're told in the Scripture that sin brings pleasure for a season, but the end is destruction. So even though this brings pleasure for a season, it is clearly against God's law and always ends up in destruction. That's why it propels us to God's mercy and grace. God gave them up to impurity, and then this phrase, in the lusts of their hearts. In other words, God gave them up in alignment with the cravings of their sin-cursed hearts. This is the practical expression of what we learned about in, in verse 21. You remember back to verse 21, just in our minds, think about this. By the way, all these verses are on the back of your handout. Verse 21 says what about our thinking? Futile thinking. The truth suppressors have been given over to futile thinking and foolish hearts or darkened hearts. We're going to keep moving through this. There's a lot to cover. God gave them up. This phrase needs to be analyzed briefly. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. This proves the degrading nature of sexual sin. I mean, sometimes in our minds, even in the 21st century, we seem to be callous to this concept of immorality, to sexual sins. It's not that bad. The next generation of believers coming up thinking, it's okay to sleep around. It's okay to act however morally I want, because I've been saved by God's grace. The fact of the matter is God hates moral impurity. That's the Bible. That's not just a pastor up here ranting and raving. No, that is the Word of God. Sexual immorality destroys, and it really does. Sexual immorality destroys the self-respect and dignity of those created in God's image. What is the restated reason for this giving over to sexual immorality? He doesn't hold back, and he, Paul reaches back into the previous section. Here's the reason, the stated reason, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The very clear reason for God giving them over to this sexual filth is this. They exchanged the worship of the true God. As is consistent with these prior verses, they stopped worshiping God and they started worshiping who? Themselves. This is such an important point to be made here. We have to grasp this. So brothers and sisters in Christ, please grasp this with me. Moral impurity is not simply a lack of worship. Catch this. 
It is an exchanged worship. What, what do I mean? Moral impurity is not worshiping God, it is worshiping me. My own pleasures. That's what moral impurity is. The filth of sexual immorality is I am now stopping to worship God and I am now starting to worship me and my own pleasures. Clearly, sexual impurity is a worship substitute, a byproduct of misguided worship. Before we move on to the next section, we set of verses here, the next point, here's an observation that we cannot ignore, especially in a room full of believers. Let us be crystal clear on this. God's grace and God's forgiveness is true. It is there. Praise God for that. Those of us, those in this room that have fallen into these sins, praise God for His mercy and grace and forgiveness. Hold on to that with all you've got. Praise God that when you fall into the pit of despair, God is there to pull you up by His grace and forgiveness. Just as we prayed a minute ago, nonetheless, here it is. Moral impurity, specifically any sexual activity outside of the confines of biblical marriage, it is an offense before a holy God and furthermore is deserving of God's just wrath. Friend, it might feel right at the time, but please realize... God is not okay with sexual impurity. He's not okay with it. And we've got to hold that. And again, this is not some 21st century lunatic standing up on that platform preaching this. This is the word of God that has stood the test of time that says this clearly. Oh boy. We got another fun one coming. You ready? Let's go to the next one. So God gave them over to moral uncleanness. Let's look at another one that just... Boy. It gets ugly. Real ugly. There's a connection between this next set of verses and the previous set of verses. Several commentators will say they clearly go together. God gave them up to sexual impurity, and then actually flowing from, from that comes these next set of verses. God gave them up to shameful passions. Hold on, here it comes. For this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions are strong de desires, and here's the words, shameful, disgraceful, humiliating. Why is Paul referring to this as shameful passions? Well, let's just read again verses 26 and 27. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature or the way God made them. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with the women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So, this is not something to be proud about. This is not Pride Month material. <laughs> Clearly, this is shameful before a holy God. Why? Because God's created moral purpose and intention for intimacy in both men and women, and very clearly, this is not men and women in a hundred other identities. Men and women, God created man and woman, male and female, and this intended purpose has been obscenely perverted. 
Furthermore, it has been excused. And catch this, because in this passage, it's not only enjoyed, it is excused as being okay. The indication here is that this downward spiral of lewd, homosexual sin and self-destruction will destroy one culture after another until either Jesus changes the hearts of sinners or Jesus returns to set it all right. That's what's happening. That's what's going on in this text. Again, before we move on to the next set of verses, there are a couple unignorable observations. We have to deal with these as as believers, followers of Jesus Christ who embrace what's known as a biblical worldview. The Bible is our foundation. Here are some unignorable observations that are crystal clear in this text. So if you have arguments in culture that says, no, 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 God's okay with this kind of behavior, I would say Romans 1 has strong contention with that. Here are some unignorable observations. Number one, homosexual, bisexual, and transsexual lifestyles are not natural to God's created order and intention. Okay, it doesn't work. Two, homosexual, bisexual, and transsexual lifestyles are clearly considered, here's the word, sin before a holy God. God is not okay with this in this passage. All the way through the scriptures. Number three, homosexual, bisexual, and transsexual lifestyles are reasons for God's just wrath and eternal condemnation. This is not something to be proud about. Something to fall on our faces before a holy God about in humility. Number four, homosexual, bisexual, and transsexual lifestyles are lifestyles, and catch this, my friends, please catch this in Romans 1. These lifestyles are lifestyles that the gospel of Jesus Christ rescues sinners out of. God died on the cross for these lifestyles. By the way, I'm really not trying to pick a fight. Really, I'm not. Talking with this with my family last night, one of my daughters, very keen to life and what's happening around, says, Dad, please don't pick a fight. I'm not. I'm simply relaying to you today what God's word says. And honestly, if God's word picks a fight, so be it. Honestly, though, I mean, we hold to God's word. But even think about the degradation of this moral stance. Okay, so I'll mention this. Even in the massively unreliable and inconsistent Bible of psychiatry, uh, psychiatric medicine, what's that known as? The DSM, right? This thing, I mean, honestly, I really struggle with this. But even in the flow of explanation from this unreliable source, I mean, it gives a lot of ideas. But even in this, what happened back in 1973? Do you remember this? Some of you are around. What happened is this concept of homosexuality in this Bible of psychiatry, as it were, was called a mental disorder. Do you realize that? And you see the degradation of human culture when in 1973 into 1974, a couple years before I was born, (laughs) you see this happening. What happens? The culture around us so embraces this concept. Even them, even in their estimation, up until the early 1970s, this was seen as what's known as a, a mental disorder. It's not natural. And now we hear 
are in 2021 where it is with every ounce of their being, they are trying to promote it as being not only acceptable, but noble. God gave them over to shameful passions. By the way, this is not unloving. Please understand that. Please understand the tone of my sermon this morning and any discussion that might come from this is not unloving. Contrary to the newest barrage of accusations, please understand that this is not racist. Sexual identity is not a racist discussion. Also, please understand everyone here today, everyone who might listen to this online, anyone who might embrace this concept and think through this passage, please understand this is not unloving. Why? Because the most loving, unracist act ever is when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary to deliver mankind from the penalty and power and eventual presence of sins. And those sins placed on Christ on the cross of Calvary were even the shameful sins of Romans chapter 1. This is not unloving because Jesus came to pay for these sins. My unbelieving or struggling friend this morning, if you are genuinely struggling with this, the good news of Christ's love is that he came to rescue you from both the penalty and the power of your sin and shame. Please know that. My brothers and sisters in Christ, please understand this. This verse clearly teaches us that this is not Pride Month, this is Shame Month. Even if this is forced onto our digital calendars, which it was, I don't know how many of you saw on your calendars and all of a sudden it's promoted and I'm like, how did that get on there? Even if it's forced into our education, refuse to be enticed and pray for our sin-cursed land, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We must realize that we must fight with every ounce of our beings against our own and, and catch this. So again, the us versus them mentality is wrong. It is wrong in this situation. Please understand this. With every ounce of our being, we must fight against our own self-righteousness, arrogance, and judgmentalism. We need to understand that, brothers and sisters in Christ. We must realize that we are all sinners saved by God's amazing grace. Let it never be said that Cross Point Community Church is a homophobic church festering in their own arrogance. But let us be a place where any and every sinner, even homo and bi and transsexuals, finds hope in the love of Jesus Christ on their behalf. I might remind you of this very important theme statement in the book of Romans, and here it is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to who? Everyone who believes. So, truth suppressors have been given over by God to practice sin. So God gave them over to moral uncleanness and the spiral 
even works further to God gave them up to shameful passions. And now we come to this next section, which we'll jump into here today. God gave them up to depraved thinking and actions. Verse 28, would you look with me at verse 28? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Here, clearly, we see this. There's a connection between thinking and action. Catch this. Because depraved minds and hearts lead to depraved actions. That's what's being said here. Why is God condemning truth suppressors? Because of the depraved mind that has led to these depraved actions. And now we find this 21-count Pauline vice list that could have been written in the 21st century, honestly. Because it's so appropriate. Can we just read this? They were filled, or they were being filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, or hurting others. By the way, how perfectly does this describe the culture we live in right now? They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. By the way, this is the closest description that I could ever find in the Bible for evil politicians. (laughs) We'll go without naming names right now. I've already got myself in enough trouble today. And here's this one. For sake of present revival, I told Griff Tonkin that I would pause on this one. Disobedient to children. (laughs) Okay, this is in this list. (laughs) I mean, we're seeing this list unfold and all of a sudden you're pounded with disobedient to children. Okay, children here, being obedient to your parents is according to God's plan for your lives. Please understand this. Then verse 31, foolish Faithless, heartless, ruthless. This list was written 20 centuries ago and is just as appropriate today. I'm reading through this this week and just thinking, wow! I mean, just wow! Friends, this list, although not even exhaustive, has been the ingredients in the recipe of destruction for one civilization after another for the last two thousand years and will be the case until Jesus Christ returns. What is the summary statement of all of this this morning? Verse 32, though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, catch this, but give approval to those who practice them. These truth suppressors explain so adequately in this passage, detailed. These truth suppressors are aware of God's justice, and what do they do? They ignore it. These truth suppressors perceive even that they will be accountable to God, even to what? To death. 
and they ignore it. These truth suppressors not only practice this, but catch this, my friends. They give approval to those who practice these sins. Do we not see this in the the world we live right now? We're in the world we live, okay, of adults, 18 and up. Only 5.6%, I mean, this is just February of 2021, 5.6% of people in America right now claim LGBT. 5.6%. But what's happening? The bandwagon's rolling and people are hopping on. You would think hundreds and thousands of percent. I mean, you can only have 100%. But you would think 50, 60% of people were in this lifestyle. 5.6%. And what's happening though? The rest of our culture who does not embrace God's perspective is jumping on the bandwagon and approving what God calls sin. This is the downward spiral of culture after culture since the fall. So what? Where do you go with the application for this? Well, I think you've got to go to this question. I mean, we've got to make this personal. I mean, I don't know about you, but after working through this passage this week, I know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go dig a big hole and crawl into it and wait till Jesus comes back. But we can't do that. Why? Because this. In a world given over by God to sin, where will you find this word? Frank, what is it? Hope. Where will you find hope? When our kids are being taught nonsense, shameful stuff, where do we find hope? When we're interacting with this on a constant basis, where do we find hope? And I will tell you, as is consistent with the entire book of Romans, the only hope that suffices is found in Jesus, my friends. Jesus is the only one who satisfies God's wrath, paying for these sins on the cross. Where do we find that? We're going to get to that in Romans 3. Hold on. Jesus is the only one who satisfies God's wrath. All right, if you continue into Romans 4 and 5, Jesus is the only one who can provide justification through forgiveness for your sins. Jesus is the only one. And if you continue on into Romans 6, Jesus is the only one who can release you from being a slave to sin to being a slave to righteousness. Jesus is the only one that can do that. If you continue on into Romans 7 and 8, Jesus is the only one who can rescue you from the penalty, power, and eventual presence of sin. If you continue on into Romans 12, what does it talk about for a believer in Jesus Christ? Here it is. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your logical service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. This mind that was darkened by sin has been transformed by who? Jesus. That is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So, in a world given over by God to sin, where will you find hope, my friend? It is only in Jesus. 
in a world that tries to manipulate us and tell us you're going to be just okay without Jesus. No, we're not. We need Jesus. In a world that tries to manipulate us and tell us you are uncaring if you do not celebrate this month of pride. You are racist if you use terms of homosexuality and bisexuality and transsexuality in a negative way and call it a sin. We must run, my friends, to the Word of God and find hope in Jesus Christ. In a world that is unashamedly trying to entice our children away from God's design, let us resolve to teach them clearly about sin and the fact that they need Jesus. Unbelieving friend here today, What a day to come visit Cross Point Community Church. It is not a mistake, though, that you are here listening to these truths today. Please understand, with all genuineness, please understand this. You will never find a truer, deeper, and more meaningful love than the love you will receive from Jesus Christ. He will eternally care for your soul. Satan's good at putting up facades, worship substitutes, but you will never find a person that will ever care for your soul like Jesus cares for your soul. He will care for your soul eternally. Would today be the day when you repent from your sin and turn to this Jesus for salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. My brothers and sisters in Christ here today, let us be resolved not to listen to the lies of the wicked one so clearly articulated in the culture around us today. Let us find resolve to hold to the Word of God with all we got. Let us be resolved today to seek and to savor and to share and to show the love of Jesus Christ today and tomorrow and every day till Jesus returns. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts. You know the wrestling match in my own soul this week through this passage. You know what you're doing in our hearts, God, and you're driving us to Jesus. That even though we have this clear portrait now of the sins of the culture we live in, the sins that we have been part of, we thank you for a wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray today, Father, that Jesus would be high and lifted up. That as we look at this bad news and as this tour bus travels through the sin city, the lust and greed of this world, the moral depravity that you would remind us of a beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray today, Father, that if there are those here who are wrestling with whether they should come to Jesus, that today would be the day that they realize that Jesus can forgive them of their sins and care eternally for their soul. Thank you, Thank you, thank you for your word. 
my friends here today, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We heard some pretty heavy stuff today. When we talk about the whole counsel of God, the whole of scriptures, you can't just choose to tippy-toe through passages like that or to skip them. You have to talk of them. And so that is why this day, June 13th, 2021, God has us talking about Romans chapter 1. Now, how will you respond? There are some here today that need to come to Jesus. Your heartstrings are being pulled by the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you to Himself. Would you respond in faith and repentance today? There are some here that have been drawn into this doubt of the Word of God. Because culture around you has so clearly painted a different picture than what you read in this passage. And you've started to embrace it. My friend, would you run back to the sufficiency of the Word of God this morning? That battle that's happening in your own heart. It's tough. Would you trust God's Word over your own mind? Would you trust God's word over what popular opinion says? Would you trust God's word that Jesus came not to excuse these sins, but to redeem us from these sins in all love and grace? Would you claim that today? Oh God, we thank you for this passage. This is tough. Lord, there's a lot of Discussions and counseling that happens from this. The persuasion of our world around us, and I pray that you would give us, give us grace to navigate through these unpopular discussions by pointing people to Jesus. 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 Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the time we could spend studying your word today. Give us grace to believe your word. Lord, I do pray now for this next generation of young ones coming up who are going to be enticed, who are going to be tempted. Oh God, by your grace, help them to believe in the word and trust Jesus. Give us grace as a body of believers here not to embrace this arrogant concept of homophobia. Oh God, please. Let us realize that we are all sinners saved by your amazing grace. Thank you for the time we could spend today and I pray now even as we go home, as we interact with these thoughts, as we may read through this text over and over and over and over again, please help us to trust your word. And our Father, when I pray these things, I pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, thank you for listening so well today. I will finish the same way we started off. I guarantee you that these are not popular words that were said today. There are some of you that may even still be wrestling through these thoughts, and I would say I would love to talk more with you. Any one of the elders here would love to talk and pray with you and open God's word. In no way do we want to be 
arrogant about these things. In every way do we want to hold to the sufficiency of the Scriptures. So I would encourage you, if you have these questions, these doubts, these words, of, these desires to talk, please don't hide those. I'd love to talk with you more about these. There will be those at the front this morning. Chaplains, elders will be around this room that would be happy to talk and pray with you. Don't hold these things inside. Work through them by God's grace. But thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening so well. Some of you came ready to share of your resources. Uh, we're not going to pass any offering plates this morning as, as we've kind of transitioned to. There's boxes in the back. that You're welcome to sh- share of your resources through those boxes. I would, obey, I, I would encourage you to obey God in that regard. Here's a concept that we've been working through all the way through Romans. Here it is. God is God and I am not. Can we bring that in the discussion that we talked about today? God is God and I am not. God is who he said he is, not who I want him to be. And let's remember those thoughts as we sing this last.